Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. Victims are given a life sentence. Yeah. Hands down. This will affect me for the rest of my life. It will affect me less the further I get along in my healing process, but it will always be a part of my life. He's never going to get a life sentence. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm sitting down with Kathy Durbin. Uh, if you were following on Facebook yesterday, you saw quite a bit of posts about um, kind of the the uh, what was supposed to be a preliminary hearing, uh, but ended up going a completely different direction uh, for Paul Fox. Uh, if, you, if you haven't seen all the backstory of this, I won't get into all of it now. Uh, just head over to the previous episode I did with Kathy. Um, I think it's I'll put a link in the show notes, but it it, it mentions Paul Fox in the in the title. Um, but yeah, Kathy, can you just kind of break down yesterday? I know there were some things that I missed in the in the live stream, and you mentioned there were a few parts that um, I misunderstood as far as um, what was said. But uh, yeah, can you just kind of run through what happened, uh, what yesterday was supposed to be, and kind of what ended up actually taking place? Yes, very confusing, long roller coaster of a ride day. Um, so I've been very heavily attending court. Every time there's a hearing, I'm there. I don't have to be there. The victim does not have to be there. I just, for whatever reason, felt like I needed to be there to see him be arraigned and then to see these things progress through the court system. Initially, I think I just needed to see him stand before a judge, hear those charges read, hear not him say not guilty or guilty or whatever. Um, and then it just kind of turned into, I think it was sort of me showing up for that 15 year old that nobody showed up for back then. And so I just, I just didn't want to let any of this go to chance. I wanted to be there to see it. Um, I really, part of me too, just kept thinking at some point we're going to hit a wall and they're going to say, Oh, sorry, we didn't notice it had been 30 years, (laughs) you know? So I kind of felt like this is going to end eventually and it's not going to end with a guilty plea. But, um, so 
up until last April, I had gone to every court hearing. And then I went to, I went in April, he had a hearing that was postponed. And then he ended up going in June. It was postponed because of COVID. And then I didn't go to that one because I, I was told by the DA, my DA is Jerry fall. And he said, um, you know, it's going to be a quick thing, basically a continuance. So I didn't fly out and do that because I'm flying from Montana to California. And then the next one was October. I didn't go to that one either because again, I was told it's just going to be a quick thing. Don't waste your money and whatever. And by then I had gone to probably eight hearings and some of them were like 10 minutes long. So I'm flying from Montana, getting a hotel, renting a car to go to court for 10 minutes. So I didn't go, but at that court hearing in October, they said the, the preliminary hearing will be January 8th. And I thought, okay, I am going to that. And this is why a preliminary hearing. And it's kind of, everything's just a formality, but a preliminary hearing is when the DA, um, calls any witnesses they want in the case and under oath, asks them questions, basically interviews them under oath. They're, um, on the stand in front of a judge. Um, and, and what the process is, is just to, for the judge to determine that there is enough evidence to set a trial date. So it's not the entire case laid out. It's kind of a mini case laid out. Um, the other thing too, that I think is important to note is that every time I have gone to court up until yesterday, we have gone into, I forget what they call it, but it's a courtroom that it's almost like a cattle shoot. The defendants are in there and in front of the judge for about two minutes and the next one's called and the next one's called the next one's called. So the judge I had yesterday had never seen my case. He does not know my case. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know the defendant. He, this is the first time on his desk is arriving this case. And then he hears the, um, he hears the hearing to see if there's enough evidence to set a trial. And then he sets a trial date. And then he is the one that presides over that trial. So um, when I got there, what had happened over the last few weeks is um, when they do a preliminary hearing in a case like this, where there's a victim like me that was a minor, um, the lead investigator is called as is subpoenaed to, to um, give a testimony. Um, and the reason for that is you give your initial police statement to that investigator. And if there's a question about something in my story, he is there to say, well, you know, kind of explain what I had said. And I, my feeling was, I am not leaving what I said. I'm not leaving that up to someone else to conclude what I said. I want to be there. If there's a question, I want to answer it. So I had planned on being there the whole time. I told the DA, I said, I will be there. If there's a question, please call me. I don't want him answering what he thinks I meant. And so what ultimately happened was I had two investigators because the first one got promoted and then I ended up with a second one. Well, the first one got COVID last week. So he was not gonna be able to be there. And so then my second investigator was gonna be there. Also very important to note is Bruce Goddard was subpoenaed to be there. And so this court date was going to be the culmination of 30 freaking long years. I was going to have Fox, Goddard, and me in a courtroom subpoenaed under oath in front of a judge 
answering questions. And, this and that, was huge. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but was that the, was no, that you're the, fine. Was that the first time you'd been in the same room as Goddard in for like a pretty good length of time? Because that no, okay, I I used to go to Faith Baptist Church up until I was in my forties. So oh, no, right. but since Victor, since all of these victim stories came out, since I told my stories, since then Victor got arrested, yeah. since I have not seen him since then. It's been a while. <laughs> But he has never had to answer yeah. for any of these cover-ups. So this was a pivotal moment yesterday. You know, it was, whoa, they subpoenaed Goddard. Oh my God. You know? So, um, that, I think that to me was just, it was just huge. Now I get there. I came in Wednesday night and I came in really late and just due to a series of events, I had about four hours of sleep that night. Hmm. And then the night before court, I could not sleep. I did not know what they were going to ask me. I did not know if I was going to be cross-examined by the defense. I just didn't know enough about the process to know other than I'm going to be now definitely called to the stand because my lead investigator got COVID and won't be there. So I just didn't know. So I was worried. I was stressing and I couldn't sleep. I slept about an hour. And so, you know, you're just tired. It's very emotional. And I got there and sorry, <laughs> um, I met with my, I had, a, I had a friend with me, Suzanne's been going with me every time and she, um, kind of grew up at faith and was there for a while. Um, and then you meet your victim advocate and my, um, my other investigator was there and then the DA. And so when the DA came in, he said, we're going to be in this other courtroom because all the paperwork I had said, we'd be in the same courtroom right. where we do like the quick things. So that was the first like update. I tried to hurry up and put on Facebook was like, oh my God, it's changed to this courtroom. Well, we were always on the second floor and on the third floor is where the DA's office is. And so you sit in like this big kind of common space, but it's, it's in an office. Um, there's a door that separates it kind of from the court right outside that door is where our courtroom was going to be for the day. Hmm. So I was kind of sequestered in that room all morning because right outside the door, the only one in front of all of those courtrooms that aren't being used right now was Paul Fox and his sister. Hmm. And so if I went out to go to the bathroom or get a drink or anything, there he was right there. And so I stayed inside. Um, so the DA was kind of going back and forth between us. So when Jerry, my DA came in, he said, this is what's going to happen. We're going to be in this courtroom. <clears throat> There's a quick 30 minute case that'll take place first. And then we will go in and um, we'll start the hearing. He said, you'll be on the stand for about two hours, which wow. I was like, whoa, he's like, but I think when you're done, I won't have to call anyone else. I think that will summarize it all. And it'll satisfy the need for proving there's enough to go to trial. And then they'll just set a trial date. I said, okay, well, he's his phone rang and he's like, oh, it's the defense. Let me step out and see what's going on. So he goes out there and then he's out there for a while. And I'm just stressing. I'm sitting there stressing, you know, cause you're like crap two hours. Okay. Well, I guess I'm just going to tell my story. Then you just, you know, you're being questioned on the stand, but you don't really know what exactly but he said it's two hours so I'm like it's got to be my whole story right so 
he comes back in and he says, so the defense counsel um, would like to go before the judge in chambers. And um, they had done this once before with our previous judge <clears throat> and see what's on the table as far as a deal. It's completely different when you plead guilty, when you make a deal with the DA's office versus a judge. And this was all explained to me yesterday. I'm not like the expert here. Um, when you plead guilty, when you get a deal with the DA's office, you can go back and forth between, you know, your defense attorney and the DA goes back and forth like, well, okay, we can make this, this charge go away, but then he needs to plead guilty to this one. And okay, well, no, I, a year's not enough, but maybe... 15 months is enough. And there's a lot of deals to be made. When you plead guilty to a judge, you're not allowed to take anything off the table. So any charges that stand, that is what you're pleading guilty to. What he is allowed to do is make a decision as far as how little, you know, every charge has a range that you right. can be sentenced with one year to three years, five years to four years, whatever. Um, the judge can decide, okay, well, for this one, we'll give you this much time. And this one will give you this much time. So they all went in. And when, I think that was probably around 930 or so, when people heard Jerry introduce himself and, and say the Fox case, and then the recording went off, the audio went off. It was because that courtroom was completely emptied. So rather than go to the judge's office, they used that courtroom as chambers. Like they went, that was his office, but that wasn't an open discussion that anyone yeah. could hear. It was, it was the judge saying, you know, what, what I would offer. Now you have to remember when he said, this is what I'm going to offer you. And this is what it was two years probation, registered sex offender for life and up to one year or 364 days, because on that 365th day, they get out um, in jail. That is what the judge was willing to offer him if he pled guilty yesterday. Um, this is a judge that has not heard my case. So what happens is the defense goes in there and I'll, I'll get back to this in a minute, but the defense goes in there and says, look, this, this girl was, we think she was 16. There's debate about her being 15. Um, it was a relationship. He's, um, you know, he's been an upstanding citizen for 30 years. He's contributed to society. He got remarried, blah, 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 right? The DA's there saying, no, she's dealt with this for 30 years. She was 15, that's been proven. So he's saying what he's saying. The defense is saying what he's saying. The judge is taking notes because he doesn't know either one of us. He doesn't know anything about the case. Yeah. It's the first time he's hearing about it. So Jerry comes back out, comes back into where I'm at. And he says, okay, this is what's happening. This is what was put on the table. Um, he's discussing it with his client. I'm discussing it with you. How do you feel about it? And I'm like, what? We're not having a hearing today? Like, what is going on, right? Um, and he says, so if he takes this deal, how do you feel about that? Do you want me to go back in there and say, hell no, that's not enough time? Or are, is that enough time to you? And I'm just like, wait. What I, I'm ready to testify. And now you're asking me to decide what punishment he should get. Like you just have to, and that's court. Like you have to switch your train of thought and your like everything just, it's so fast. I mean, they don't, 
pressure you. Like I had time to sit there and think, but at the same time, they need a decision. So I said, well, knowing what I knew, it's, I've got a lot of knowledge over the last year and a half, not that I wanted any of it, but knowing what I knew that even if we go through a whole trial and he's found guilty by a jury, the judge still has a range in which he can give him hmm. that range. The most was three years. And I think it was eight months, three years and eight months in jail, two years of probation was, was never changing. That's changes doesn't change and registered sex offender for life. And you have to keep in mind that no matter what the sentence is, they're only going to serve half because that's just how it is with, with jails being overcrowded. If you're good while you're in there, you only have to serve half. The rest of it is served, but it's served as probation. You're kind of serving it while you're out in the community and you have a parole officer and whatever. So it's kind of like, so this was my thought process. And this is what I asked. I told Jerry, my DA, I said, okay, I think jail time is necessary. I'm not going to be okay with him not having jail time for sure. That's not even off the table that that had, that's not even a question. But if he's got to go for a year, I think I would be okay with that. I think that would satisfy my need for justice, but six months would not. So if there's still this range on the table, how am I supposed to decide that I'm okay with this today? You know, because I don't know what the judge is ultimately going to give him. So what ultimately happened was um, Jerry said, that is what they would fight for. If, if a year in jail is what my minimum requirement would be, that is what they would fight for. And I said, okay, I would be satisfied with that. Knowing that the judge would heavily look at, he's spent the last 30 years not getting in trouble. And by, yeah. by that, I mean, they don't know. He has never been arrested for anything other than like minor traffic things. So he's, he retired. He's been an upstanding citizen as far as they know for 30 years. They're going to look at that and that's going to heavily weigh on the sentence and, and sending him to jail 30 years later for his crime. So knowing that he's probably not going to get the full sentence anyway, and we could get a guilty plea today, I said, okay, I think I would be okay. That's the scales of justice, you know, that whole balance thing that doesn't exist anymore. That's what everyone's like. That's what my picture of justice is. The punishment has to fit the crime, but that's not realistic today because the punishment doesn't ever fit the crime, hardly ever. It's very much persuaded by any bias that the judge might have. If yeah. his family member was killed by a drunk driver, he's probably going to throw the hammer at a drunk driver that kills someone. But, and that's, it's sad that they get that way. They're supposed to be unbiased, but that is kind of like our criminal justice system. There's such a big window of mm. time that can be served for each crime. And it's all kind of up to the judge to decide. So that I just felt like it's a win, even if he gets a year in jail and he pleads guilty, it's a win, right? Mm. So my DA went back out. Um, he decided, yes, he was going to take that deal. And then we had to wait for paperwork and stuff to be done. And then it was just kind of a whirlwind of, okay, so <laughs> we're not doing the preliminary hearing because he's pleading guilty. Like this, it just, it's, it's just crazy. Like your mind and your emotions are everywhere. So we go in and um, basically, 
you know, I went in and sat on the left. He goes in and sits on the right. We're in a courtroom that nobody else is in other than a bailiff and the judge because it was supposed to be a preliminary hearing. Um, we, oh, the other thing that Jerry told me is that the judge would read the charges and he would have to say, you know, you know, yes, I'm pleading guilty. And then Jerry, the DA would be able to re-verbalize the charges. And he said, I do it. This was, we were talking about this when he was saying, you know, are you okay with him pleading guilty today? Um, he said the way that I, I do it, it's, it's very graphic. I, I read the charge as it's read, you know, digital penetration, whatever he said, but I make him say, are you saying you did this? And he has to answer yes. And I thought that was very powerful the way they do that. It's not just, you know, section 288C, you know, blah, blah, blah. Are you guilty? Yes. It's he, the DA really verbally makes him say he, yes, I did that crime. And the way he graphically describes it is it's just, it's a powerful kind of moment. Um, so we go in there, I'm sitting on the left. You have to sit where these, they're kind of like pews or benches sitting there. And there's a victim side and a defendant side. And there's these yellow dots every six feet and that you're supposed to sit on a dot, right? Well, I sat, um, and, and my friend Suzanne was sitting right next to me. My, um, my, uh, investigator was right behind me and my victim advocate sat like six feet away from us, which we'd all been together like all morning. So it was kind of weird. Well, I could see the judge. He could see me. And then they brought in Paul Fox and he sat up by his defense attorney because he had to be where the microphone was. And we're the only ones in the room, the judge, the DA, his defense attorney, him, me, Suzanne, my victim advocate, and the um, my investigator. And Jerry, he walks a lot when he talks. And so he kept coming between me and the judge. Like I could not make eye contact with the judge because he kept like walking. So they all do their formalities. One of the things that was interesting that I thought was just like really, really weird was the defense asked the judge if it was okay. He said, the de you know, the defendant's sister is sitting out in the hallway and she would like to come in for the proceedings. Is that okay? And then he said, yeah, yeah, sure. Just have her sit on a yellow dot. And so he goes and gets her and I'm thinking, why would you want to come in and hear your brother plead guilty to all of these very descriptive charges they're going to read. Like what, what, that's gross. Like what, okay, whatever. But I was like, fine, whatever. Um, when the judge started talking, what was happening, which I didn't know then was he was reading his notes from this previous conversation, maybe an hour before that had taken place between the defense attorney and the DA of the defense is saying, well, she was 16, maybe 15. It was a relationship, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the notes he had written when the defense was talking and saying, no, this has affected her for 30 years. She was 15 years old, like all this stuff, right? So what he was reading was just his notes that he had made from that previous thing. So when he started talking, I immediately got upset. Like what? But Jerry had walked to where I could not make eye contact with that judge. So I literally got up and moved to the end of that row so that I could make eye contact with that judge because I was pissed. He, the way he was talking about how, 
well, she was 15. Well, I guess that's debatable or whatever. She might've been 16. And it was, so you had this relationship was, and, and was, I just, it felt very like just thrown out there. Like, yeah, there's this and this, and it was very weird. Yes. It, it, yeah. So it took Eric, it took every fiber of my being not to stand up and say, Whoa, what is happening right now? Yeah. No, like I, I got super mad. I literally wanted to get up out of my seat. But then I just started crying because it was so emotional. I just started crying. Like, what is happening? Like, you're just, and I was tired because I hadn't slept. And so he ends up pleading guilty. And I mean, like you heard it, it's like a 10 minute long thing. And then the bailiff says, okay, you're, you know, you're dismissed. You go out because the victim goes out first. So we all go out the DA, my victim advocate, Suzanne, me, the, um, I had my investigator, we all go out in the hallway. And then he comes out, Paul and his attorney, and they come out and they're talking down at the other end of the hallway. And basically, um, you know, Jerry just asked me, like, are you okay? Do you feel like, you know, this satisfies you being here? Do you feel like progress was made? Like, he's just so good. I cannot say enough good things about my DA and how he handles victims and just the information that he gives you and the way he explains everything. He's just really, really, really good at his job. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm satisfied. I think I just need to process because I was still mad about the judge. And I knew when that was over, I was going to say something, but once it was over, it just kind of was this culmination of, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so I left pretty immediately. Um, I left and I just was just trying to process everything because it takes a while, even though you're there and you hear it, it takes a while to sink in. He was not handcuffed and led away. It was just all words. It was very surreal. I was also told by the DA when he was telling me that he wanted to plead guilty, that he also wanted to apologize. And I was mm. like, I laughed and then I cried. I just wasn't ready for that. I think that's stupid. You've had 30 years to make this right. And you have never attempted to do that. So, but he didn't do that. He will do that on April 30th, but he did not do that yesterday. So that was good. Um, the thing that happened with Goddard, and this is, this was kind of frustrating to me because I, I was very excited when I found out he was being subpoenaed and he would finally have to on record under oath address it. Yeah. Yes. Now the judge did make a point mm -hmm. and some people caught that to say, so someone told the pastor and you just left, you got to leave. He just sent you away or whatever. And he had to say, yes. Yeah. Now the reason that's important is because that's on record. Now that's part of a court record that that happened it's also yeah. it's our it's already it's already admitted into evidence because i did ask him about that on my pretext call but that was huge that was a huge moment for bruce goddard paying for covering up his you know all these sexual abuses in his mm -hmm. church but um jerry had told me initially um almost two years ago, year and a half ago, that he would not, it was a big deal. I wanted Goddard subpoenaed. I wanted him to have to be a witness in this because I wanted to get him under oath talking about it. And he said, I won't be calling Goddard. And I'm like, why? And he said, because number one, either he would plead the fifth and not say anything mm -hmm. helpful. Or number two, he would ask us to make a deal with him in an effort to him not, um, 
incriminate himself on the stand, which means if we want him to be a witness, he, we'd have to make a deal so that he could tell us what happened and not, and then we would not be able to go after him. Yeah. So I was a little confused a week or so ago when I found out he was subpoenaed. I was glad he was going to be under oath, yeah. but I was disappointed in that. Wait, does this mean you can't go after him now? So what had happened was I asked Jerry about this when we got there yesterday morning. And he's, I said, is Goddard going to be here for sure? And he's like, well, he said, what happened was because these charges are 30 years old, almost 30 years old, um, there is three criteria that have to be met in order to negate statute of limitations. And he was not convinced he could do it. He thought he could do it with the evidence he had, but if, but Goddard would be the clencher. So mm -hmm. he, he subpoenaed Goddard in case he needed him. But then when he re-looked at everything, he realized he could meet that burden without calling Goddard. So he told him not to come. He dismissed him because having him there and would potentially mean he would have to make a deal with him. Yeah. And so he'll be next, but we'll talk about that. Um, yeah. So, so that was a little disappointing, but at the same time I was like, okay, well good. Cause that means you can still go after him. So that was good. Um, when I got home, like within an hour, I'm not home, but I'm in a hotel, but within an hour of, um, of leaving the courtroom, I was eating lunch. I was already getting calls by media for, um, and a statement. And I was so like, I don't know. I just didn't know what to say. I was still kind of processing and I did put something on, I had so many people and I am so, so, so grateful for everyone that reached out to me and said, we're praying for you today. You've got this, you know, we're behind you. We love you. I felt so overwhelmed. I was still processing that I wanted to put something out on Facebook just for everyone to know how much their support meant. I, I kind of wanted to say, this is what happened. Thank you for your support. Now I'm not right. calling everybody. I'm not responding <laughs> right. to everybody. I need right. like just to, but the, but I did want to respond just not individually to everyone. Well, I guess there was a lady, Ruth Haynes, that hijacked my post. I didn't know anything about it because I completely got off Facebook after that. Later, several hours later, I found out that she, this was going on. Someone had said, it, and I'm like, what are you talking about? What post? Who's Ruth Haynes? Like I was all over the place. I, I was like just blindsided by it, but I was still very tired, very emotional. And I went on to see what was happening. And I tried to block her. She had already, she had already blocked me. So I just ended up mm -hmm. deleting her posts, but I was really upset by that. I felt like she had stolen this victory from me hmm. I, and it still hadn't even sunk in. It had not even sunk in totally that he pled guilty and yet it's being stolen. This, this win is being stolen. And then, and so I cried, I cried and cried and cried and cried. And then I finally figured I'm a really empathetic person. And I feel like sometimes it's almost to a fault. Like, like I felt really guilty sitting there yesterday and the D the DA saying, what is justice to you? How much time do you want him to serve? And I'm thinking, wait, why do I get to decide how much time he spends in jail? Like, it just was like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want to have to do that. Um, and so I, I thought about her and I thought about my sister and everything that she has gone through these last two years and my nieces and nephews. And I thought, I understand where she's coming from. She's angry, 
But you also have to remember the only thing that she knows is what he has told her. And obviously he's not going to tell her the truth. And so I thought it was funny that she said I bought him boxers or something because I thought, really? Really, lady? First of all, he didn't wear boxers. Secondly, like we were like Amish, like, you know, we were in this cult. I wouldn't buy men who, whatever. I don't know. I was just like, whatever. Um, but I did understand where she was coming from. I, I am not giving her a pass on attacking a victim. That is always, always, always wrong. I'm not that she crossed the line that should have never been crossed. Mm. I feel like she needs to own up to that. That was wrong. But I do understand she's upset for that family. And the only thing she's hearing is coming out of his mouth. But it also made me realize something else that yesterday would be the day that my story in all of its dirty details and every little thing he did to me, the way he systematically groomed me, the every sexual thing he did to me would have been on record under oath. And that means it's public. As soon as this is over on April 30th, that's public record. Anyone can get those records and read it. Of course he was gonna plead guilty yesterday he doesn't want the truth on record. He no. doesn't want every detail on record. All of his friends and family only know what he's told them. Mm. They might've read my story on Facebook or whatever, but they only know his truth, right? No. Yesterday would have been the day that the entire truth goes on record. So it made it, it actually made me realize why he pleaded guilty yesterday. No. Because it was inevitable that we were going to get a guilty plea, whether it was by jurors convicting him or he, him pleading guilty, he was going to be found guilty. So it actually, it actually, her hijacking my post helped me realize why yesterday was that day yeah. that he, you know, why he would do that. And it, and it made sense, you know, um, I think it's important to note April 30th. So yesterday was pretty informal, just getting it on record that he was pleading guilty. The other thing too, so several hours later in the later afternoon, I called Jerry, the DA, and I said, I need to talk to you about this judge. I'm livid. I am so mad at the way he did this and, and what he said and how he said it. I talked to Jerry for probably a good hour. Um, but the gist of it was this. A judge has to seem, first of all, he, he helped me understand that this judge doesn't know anything about this case. He was simply reading his notes from that quick meeting they had when, when he was trying to get a deal. So I said, okay, well, that makes sense. The other thing is, so he's using defense words and DA words. So, so, you know, I'm a victim and I've lived with this my whole, you know, 30 years, but it was just a relationship. Like those words were coming from both sides. That made a lot of sense to me. The other thing is he has to seem impartial because if he does not seem impartial when he's pleading guilty, then when we get to sentencing, if he throws the book at him and he gets a worse sentence than what he, he kind of promised him, then he can go back and say, well, you were biased way back then. Hmm. So he has to seem very impartial yesterday. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Did I explain that right? Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. Yeah, um, no, and, and yeah, I, I think that I, I was aware there was some of that, but then it was it was just shocking. Like listening to it, I mean, 
but it's also different, like in a courtroom setting, hearing how emotionless everything is, you know, and like, that's very, that's very hard because I'm, you know, I'm not a judge. I'm not sitting there listening to these cases in an impartial way. Um, And so, yeah, Yeah. I was, I was texting back and forth with someone else when it was going on. And I was just like, I'll just say what I put out yesterday was a very tame version of what I was thinking about, you know, how he was wording things. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, he made a statement about, you know, um, uh, what was it? Oh, he said, um, you know, but obviously in cases that involve children, sometimes it can have a lasting effect. And I was like, you think? (laughs) I was like, there was things like that where I was just like, yeah, no joke. That's why it's a crime, you know? And but, um, but yeah, no, that does make sense. Um, and I, I'm really curious to see, I'm sure you are as well, but really curious to see what happens in April. Um, well, when it comes to you know, Jerry was, yeah, Jerry was actually telling me that there's, you know, every judge's personality kind of comes out and he is kind of a dry, just kind of mundane kind of personality. I don't know. Yesterday was the first day I'd ever seen him. Um, he said, there's another judge that is very emotional and gets attached to all the victims and like, you know, so it's part of it is just their personality. But what Jerry pretty heavily weighed on me yesterday was he said, April 30th is your day. Hmm. It is the day you will be the most articulate person in that room, because that is the day that you get to read your victim impact statement. Now your victim impact statement is, it's to summarize it is, it's you getting to say how this has impacted your life. But I also get to plead with the judge for whatever I think is fair. And this judge doesn't know anything about this case other than the 10 minutes he, or whatever, he talked to both sides yesterday. So all he really knows is that I was, 15, maybe 16, which I was both ages. So, um, and he did plead guilty to a crime that could only have been a 15 year old. So that answered that, but that, and that he's not done anything else for 30 years and he's sorry. That's pretty much what he knows right now. Right. But I get to say whatever I need to say to get my point across that how really bad and painful this was and that it was over a two year process and I was groomed and like all of that will come out on April 30th before he is actually sentenced. The other thing is um, I was told yesterday that there was a case recently where the same kind of thing happened. The defendant pled guilty to the judge for a um, standard of, you know, like for a varying amount of time. And that was, you know, the sentencing, but when it came down to the sentencing, they, a victim's family got up and read a victim impact statement. And then the judge threw the book at them. And so there is still a window of opportunity for some more jail time. I do truly feel like knowing what I know about the justice system, that I will be satisfied with him spending a year in jail, having probation, being a registered sex offender, But the other thing that's super important for me, April 30th, after I give my victim impact statement, he's allowed to say a statement if he wants, and then the judge will sentence him. He will then be handcuffed and taken into custody. And I think at that moment is when this will conclude for me. Not that I'm healed completely, but that that to me is closure. Yesterday was a huge victory, but really April 30th 
is the day, you know, mm. I think there's something to him being taken into custody and, and led away yeah. that will be very closure for me, you know, and you know, that's happening regardless of the length of time that's happening right. because he right. pled guilty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. And, and uh, I mean, obviously like it's, it's, it's crazy that we have to wait till April to know, you know, what happens next, but that's the legal system. Um, yep. But I mean, and COVID. <laughs> yeah. And COVID, you know, taking it even further, but I mean, the positive thing here really, I mean, and what's incredible about your story is just that 30 years later, like it's so rare, you know, this, I mean, it's so rare for anything to happen. Like for even, even an investigation to happen this far in is, is incredible, but for to actually get a guilty plea and it's, I mean, that's amazing. Like of, of all things, I mean, that's a huge takeaway. That's, that's just awesome. And um, yeah, so mo moving forward, I mean, obviously you kind of alluded to this, like, you know, mentioning Goddard and, um, again, I know, I know we can't dive too deep into this, but mm -hmm. for me, you know, on the outside, I was like, this is awesome that it's coming. Not only was Goddard mentioned as having, you know, just sent someone away and not reporting it, it yep. wasn't coming from a victim. And right. obviously I, I believe the victim saying that, but I think it says more that someone who was helped by Goddard, an abuser himself is naming Goddard as the person who sent him away. That to right. me, I was like, cause Goddard is going to brush off victims. He's been doing that yep. for several decades now. Yep. Um, but to brush off someone who has no reason to like, you know what I mean? Like no reason to have a vendetta against Goddard, someone who was right. helped by Goddard and getting right. away with this for them to point the finger. That's going to hold a lot of weight moving forward in, you know, certain civil cases that are, uh, that are yeah. happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's on record. Like it's, yeah. it's huge. It's not just something he said it's on record in court, the judge asking him that and him saying, yes, yeah. that is pivotal. And he you said know? it to you separately on your pretext call. So yeah, you've got two instances call. in which he said the same thing. Right. Um, yeah. Which is yeah crazy. So yeah. So moving yeah. forward, um, I know, again, I know you can't dive too deep in, but what's kind of the the steps moving forward? Are you kind of just in a holding pattern till April? Um, is there, you know, is there anything else that's in the works right now? Like I will be spending the next three and a half months, um, working on my victim impact statement. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, that's your kind of the culmination of all this. It's when you get to say your piece and how this has affected you. And, and, you know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a huge ordeal. Um, so I think primarily I will focus on that. We are supposed to go to trial for our civil trials now at the end of August. And they're talking about possibly doing like virtual jurors, <laughs> hmm. which I think is so weird. I did, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll open back up again. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, for the next couple of months, that's just, I'll just be focused on that. And then, um, until this case is closed, they obviously can't go after Goddard. You have to get the person that committed the crime. Um, you either have to find them guilty or have them plead guilty before you can go get a co-conspirator of a crime. Nice. So that's kind of the process. We have to wait till April to see what happens. So timeline-wise, April, that happens. I mean, it's already happened, but it officially happens in April. And then you've got some time before August to keep building that case against yep. Goddard, which I, I mean, yep. 
again, I mean, it just seems so clear, doesn't it? You know, it, it, yeah, it seems... I would say it's signed, sealed, delivered at this point. Yeah, <laughs> right. I would say so too. So, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I really appreciate coming on and clarifying. I know, um, especially with the, I, I was so confused with the with the length of time. What what I heard the judge say versus what you just said uh, was very helpful. And um, yeah, I, I I'm glad that he's doing some jail time. I'm glad, you know, obviously, you know, when is it ever enough time? Like, how do you even put a timeline on that? Yeah. You know, there's no way yeah. to do that. But again, like, I'm just so happy that something's happening like it's recorded yeah. that you know he admitted to this and um yeah you know eric victims are given a life sentence yeah hands down this will affect me for the rest of my life it will affect me less the further yeah. i get along in my healing process but it will always be a part of my life he's never going to get a life sentence mm -hmm. and actually interesting i the da was explaining yesterday that for some reason, legislatures who make our laws feel that 13, if you, he, he said this yesterday and I thought this was, I was like, what? If you as a adult, doesn't matter how old you are, 19, 20, whatever. If you take your hand over a 13 year old and you pat them on the butt over their clothes, that gets you eight years in federal prison hmm. because they're 13. But you do that to a 14 year old, that is the cutoff, the 13 to 14. That line is where they drew like a line in the sand saying, this is criminal, like to the fullest extent. And this is eh, kind of a gray area, less sentence. You mm. might get six months wow. if they're 14. So, like, he doesn't understand why. I don't understand why they pick that age. But justice is not just. I, that's, that's my conclusion yeah. of going through this process. Justice is not just, but yesterday I feel like was not just a victory for me. It was a victory for every person that has ever been sexually abused as a minor. Mm -hmm. This, at least in Riverside County, this DA, this DA's office is saying, you matter. We believe you and we will get a conviction for you. This person will be punished. And that's huge. That is huge. So, you know, I can't say any more than yesterday was such a huge win. It was just such a huge win. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud. I mean, I'm proud of you. And like, I, I think, you know, just being, being willing to, to keep showing up to these and, and keep, keep pushing forward. And, and I'm really happy that you're seeing something happen. Like I'm just yeah. at, at the end yeah. of it. And, and that made me really excited seeing your post, just seeing like that you, you felt that way that there was like this, yeah. this weight to what happened. And yeah, um, you know, I, I do not take lightly the fact that I get to sit in that courtroom or stand there and, and watch this proceeding. I know, I know how many victims will never, ever see the inside of a courtroom. Yeah. So I'm there for them. Like part of the process is just being there for them. Right. You know, right. no. done crying, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. I, I wanted to, yeah. I tried to, I guess, unlike the other press, I was trying to kind of keep a little bit distant <laughs> yesterday um, yeah. um, afterward, but I, I appreciate you taking time to just walk through it, explain and, uh, you know, I'm happy to get to help spread the, spread the word a little bit about what's going on. 
and uh yeah thank you so much and uh yeah and uh yeah thank i guess you, uh, have a safe trip back and uh we'll be praying for you as you're kind of working on your statement and getting ready for this uh this next date thank you thank you so much Awesome. Cool. I'll stop there. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.